Welcome, dear listener, and thank you for joining me for this special Halloween edition of Dead Hand Radio. I'm your host, Andrew Hall. What we're about to embark on throughout these coming days leading up to Halloween is a series of interviews with people from all walks of life who've experienced some of the most harrowing, spine-chilling tales you've ever heard. We're talking ghost stories, haunted buildings, cursed lands, myths, legends, and lore, the likes of which many have never heard before. Some of my guests are new, most are returning visitors of the show, and have agreed to share with us, in some cases for the first time ever, their personal experiences of unexplained and hair-raising stories from beyond the veil. Consider this your final warning. Those who choose to proceed may have their sanity challenged, question reality, or lose their mind with fear from these tales of the unknown and unexplained. And now, the Dead Hand Radio Halloween Special. This is Cindy Vasco, urban explorer, photographer, and you're listening to Dead Hand Radio. Cindy, welcome back to Dead Hand Radio, and thanks for joining me on this special Halloween edition of the podcast. How have you been since we last spoke? Pretty well. Um, hanging in there like everybody else is doing right now, you know, trying to make the best of the situation, but looking forward to a horizon. <laughs> you do the best you can at, during the times that you're in. And people have been in worse situations, so. Oh, by far. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we, we really can't complain too much. Uh, yeah. We just have to plug through it. Exactly. And we will. Exactly. I mean, my, you know, I, I don't know. Have you been able to get out and uh, do any shooting since we last talked? Yes. Yeah, so urban exploring, because that's a solitary event. So, um, and I've, I've been to some, uh, I've been to one or two shoots with larger groups of people we we just took precautions so it was fine have you been able to do any of your events no no they everything's canceled everything uh they're big events with lots of people so everything is canceled and that's really your bread and butter for as far mm-hmm. as income right it's it's yeah it's um it's yeah it's it's very ominous right now uh, my photographer friends are suffering greatly because of that uh, well I, you know just an fyi mm-hmm. i know of a couple of local photographers here that shoot mm-hmm. newborns yes newborn portrait and that mm-hmm. is exploding and people is are, it really oh yeah yeah in mm-hmm. this area it is anyway not sure how you know that would be but then you have to have your own studio you have to have your own props and things like that. And you have to be really patient with the children. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that's that's true. And, it, and equipment is very expensive. 
my friend has beautiful lighting. Uh, she she um, has a nice suite of lighting equipment, but um, that's one thing I have I haven't done too much of uh, portrait photography. So, <laughs> you know, I, I guess I could have um, I could have led with the uh, the the concept since this is a Halloween special. Yes, uh, we could have started talking about the reality of the horror show that we're living in right yes. now, right? <laughs> yes, I know. It's very appropriate this year, isn't it? <laughs> uh, although, you know, I try to, to keep things on a positive note and try not to like harp on the negativity that we're experiencing sure, right now. because we have enough. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Everybody's talking about that. I want to yeah. bring a little bit of, of lightness. Levity, um, yes. <laughs> even though, you know, some of the stuff I talk about is pretty heavy. Yeah, did you hear my Cold War 2.0 episode yes. with JJ? <laughs> yes, that was fabulous. I, oh, thank I listened you. to it yesterday. Yeah, oh, that, yeah that was it fun. was great. Yeah, that it was, was a it fun was conversation. A lot of, lot of different uh, turns in that. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And the perspectives of the overseas pers overseas perspective was interesting. Yeah. I like I loved it very much. You know, that's one of has been one of the greatest rewards of this podcast is talking to people in different parts of the world and seeing how things are with them yes because we lose sight of that here we become so absorbed with our own situation yeah yeah another thing that i find in talking with new people is uh you might have heard me say this before but it just still blows my mind how creative and interesting people are yeah yeah it's 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 very interesting and delightful to listen to to those uh, perspectives yeah yeah do you know what a misanthrope is? Yes. So <laughs> I, I am kind of a borderline misanthrope. Yes, I, I really have a, yeah, I really have a negative like uh, perspective on humanity, but uh, sometimes I do too. <laughs> my my opinion on that is really starting to change by talking to all these interesting yes. people. Yeah, the more the more you reach out and branch out, that it, it does change your perspective. Right. So does traveling. That always did it for me. Yeah. And see, I always traveled with a companion. I never did it really solo. So, and yeah, I, I did it solo a few years ago. I really enjoyed it. I bet. Yeah. I bet you really get a, a chance to, to kind of stretch your wings. And yeah, I went, I went to Africa by myself and that was just a, kind of a life changing experience. Really? Did, was, yeah, it was it like fabulous. a photography? It was. I went. Yes, I went on a safari, but um, I went by myself. I, I, I met up with a group, of course, because you can't safari solo, you know, like on your own in a vehicle. You have to go <laughs> Good with luck. A group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was it was amazing. Um, it really opened my eyes to how our world is. It was shocking. Yeah, it was absolutely shocking. In a good way or in... in a good way, in a good way. Yeah, it was fabulous. It, it um, yeah, it made me appreciate so much more of what I have. Yeah. And seeing, I, did you get a chance to see some of the wildlife? Yes, lots of it. It was amazing. And you could, you're, you're feet away from it. Wow. It's, it's, it was amazing. Yeah. It was the best trip I ever took. You know, it's, it's one thing to see those animals inside of a closed, Right. You know, enclosed, whatever. Yeah, I, I saw some things I didn't want to see as well, but that's the way nature is. So uh, you mm. have to 
like poaching and stuff like that. Yeah, well, um, um, hunts um, animals, uh, hyenas hunting um, uh, gazelles and catching them and right. Wow. Yeah, it was it was brutal, but that's was, nature, though. I mean, yes, you, yeah. I know it's it's what has to be, especially in the U.S. I think we're mm-hmm. shielded from a lot of that uh, unless you watch nature documentaries. But exactly. Yeah, people, and, and saw how people live. That was shocking as well. Seventy percent don't have electricity. To uh, to me, those um, those type of events where you see nature hunting nature, mm-hmm. there's a, a a sense of awe and beauty to it in my mind. It is. It is. It's amazing. It is. So. Uh, so the reason for this episode is because I wanted to give you an opportunity to share some of your spooky stories. And I, you know, I know that you've been in some really brutal, <laughs> I guess, scary situations. Yes. I'd love to hear about that. Okay. If you are willing to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have some, um, I do have a few experiences uh, with, my abandoned excursions, they're kind of lame compared to what the lore is out, is out to the public uh, and what I've spoken to other people about, but they're still unexplained nevertheless, and they're still weird to me. <laughs> well, feel free to tie it in with the lore or mythology that you've heard. And, and the history of the place is that kind of what is what prompts a lot of the the lore it's it's very brutal history to some of these places so please enlighten me with your darkness all right (laughs) (laughs) okay all right well um i'm an urban explorer as you know and uh i'm always asked if i encounter paranormal encounters as i walk through the derelict sites that i visit i can Probably say no, uh, because once I stepped foot inside a abandonment, um, focused on my photographic compositions, and um, but I'm keen to unwanted sounds. But that mostly applies to human activity inside the building. We'd never want to run into people, um, and my mind doesn't wander to unexplained events because if I did so, I probably would end my crazy adventures in airbexing. It would probably scare me so much that I wouldn't go back. But <clears throat> there's plenty of weird found in derelict buildings absent the encouragement of perceived unexplained phenomena, attempting to piggyback on my psyche. But nevertheless, uh, 45% of Americans believe in ghosts and demons. And that's why inquiring minds always want to know about any spectral engagements I encounter. Uh, everyone has a ghost story, and I've had a few unexplained experiences in my urbex travels. And although they're lame compared with the paranormal lore associated with some of the sites I explored, my unexplained experiences are still a little bit weird uh, because haunted sites and probably most abandoned buildings, everyone I've practically been into, push buttons that trigger feelings of dread and it's always unclear what awaits someone that visits these places. Uh, when I, when you go inside an abandonment, they're they're extremely dark, and you you have to be very wary of navigating dark interiors, walking on sketching floors, and 
you see spider webs that are so thick and opaque, they appear like fabric draped from the ceiling to the floor. Uh, but still, we never want to run into other humans. Forget about ghosts. It's people we dread. But absent the genuine ap um, active signs of life within a structure, uh, to view former life signs suddenly interrupted and frozen in time via artifacts left behind, this only amplifies the fear factor. And vacated places deliver a sense of the uncanny of something not quite right crying out for an explanation of its helter-skelterness. And to open the door into silence of, of an abandonment is to feel the absolute emptiness of a place where occupants have departed. It's a very strange feeling. And all of us are fascinated by the perception of a hidden story. And sometimes it's easy to turn to the paranormal for an account of these abnormal perceptions. But the urban explorer, and not unlike the ghost hunter attempts to fill in these voids of information. And I recently, I recently finished my West Virginia book and West Virginia is a standout uh, with haunted legends. Uh, the, the mountain state seems to have ghosts along every street if one reads accounts. Uh, when I did my research, it seems like every site was vying for the most ghosts per square foot. And some of the Bandit sites that I visit uh, clamored for um, the most horrific stories. Um, and I visited some pretty rough places like uh, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, the West Virginia State Penitentiary. Uh, there was a amusement park that was very creepy. And even the beautiful town of Harper's Ferry is just steeped in ghostly history on every street. So everyone has a ghost story. And I visited Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, uh, Tallow for short. Uh, it's a massive 240,000 plus square foot sandstone structure. And it sits on a property of 666 acres, which always begs the question. Oh, yeah. Yes. Could the first owners purchase one or more or less acre? <laughs> Because uh, a 666 acre footprint only adds more darkness to the site's very storied history. Yeah, donate uh, this, an acre, man. Yes, Just, you know, change yes. that number. <laughs> exactly. I was. I didn't know that when I visited it. Uh, I learned that when I start doing research on the chapter, and was kind of surprised to see that um, it could be happenstance or not. I don't know, <laughs> but it the the. This facility was built in the late 1800s and it paused during the Civil War and then resumed completion uh, in, nine, in 1881. And it originally allowed for 250 patients, but at its capacity apex in 1949, it held a gravely overcrowded population of 2,600. It, was, uh, it had a reputation for being very violent and unsafe, had reports of patients killing each other. And in 1949, a journalist provided firsthand accounts of the appalling conditions. Um, patients were sleeping on freezing floors due to lack of furniture and heat. Overtaxed workers were unable to keep up with the sanitation burdens. Uh, Tala's once beautiful, sunny and sparkling windows were covered with grime and just added to the freezing interior temps. Patients uh, with whom the orderlies deemed unable to control were locked in cages in open areas 
in attempts to allow more bedroom space for Tal's less problematic inhabitants. And probably the most disturbing thing was that tallow was a training ground for experimental lobotomies. Wow. Ice pick lobotomies. It, it, the facility closed in 1994 after some investigations uh, forced pressure for the institution to, to close. And in, in the 18, late 1800s, uh, people didn't have many rights, especially women. It was pretty, pretty easy to get shoved in there and often for life. Uh, ill treatment by a husband could get a woman committed along with, say, if she inherited money or if, or if the husband preferred his mistress, he didn't always come back for his wife. But male patients didn't have it easy either. And anyone could be admitted for a number of uh, situations uh, such as uh, seduction, bad whiskey, indigestion, laziness, and reading too many novels. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And methods of I, abuse. I know a couple people in our post-apocalyptic yes, community that would be committed. <laughs> yeah, and the laziness factor too. That's a that's a very wide berth too. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and and the abuse was was just rampant. They had ice water baths, uh, bloodletting, confinement, cages, electroshock therapy, and the ice pick lobotomies is what Tal is really noted for. Uh, Dr. Walter Freeman, he's noted as the father of the lobotomy and shoved an ice pick through a patient's orbital socket and into their brain. And in some cases it was thought to calm the patient, but in almost all cases, it rendered the patient permanently brain damaged or dead. And in the early 50s, um, within a two week period, he performed over 225 ice pick lobotomies. And so given all this history, it's not surprising that Tala is considered a hotbed for paranormal activity. There are lots of apparition sightings, unexplainable voices and sounds and other paranormal activity reported by guests and staff, as well as the the TV paranormal investigators, such as those on you know, Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters Academy, Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters, uh, Paranormal Challenge, all those groups of people. And I had three experiences. I've been there twice. The first time I went there, I, I met a friend at the site uh, before we were supposed to enter the building. And I was going to, with the group that was going to investigate the the abandoned structures in back of the, the main Kirkbride unit, which holds tours for people. And uh, she was going on the ghost tour there. Uh, so we were gonna separate once we got inside. But before we got there, before we went inside, uh, I decided to walk around and take some exterior shots. And um, I was doing fine until I got to this one building and uh, my camera, my D4 was only three months old. So it was brand new, it was fresh, nothing should go wrong with it. And I, every time I would press the shutter, I got error messages all the time. I couldn't get it to work. I walked away from the building and it was fine. So I never got any photos of this one particular building. And that was one building that none of us were able to go into. So I don't know what that's about, but it was very strange. So in that, you said you were never able to go into that building. What? They they had the 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 docent of see they have they have a it's it's a big campus of several buildings and the Kirkbride building is where they kept the pay, the the general patient population. It's a huge 
architectural design of, of so many asylums uh, from the 1800s uh, that is a long hallway and they have these wings coming off the long hallway. Look, if you look at an area view, it looks like a bat wing and that's how it's designed. And it's a, it's a beautiful design. There are lots of windows and, and air breezes flowing through it. And it was supposed to help patients recover. The problem is it was only designed for a couple hundred patients. And then shortly after they opened, they, they swelled to thousands of, of patients and there's no room. So all those features, those architectural features didn't help a single patient. So that was that's the building where they have the, the general tours for the public. And then they have these, these, these uh, facilities in back of it for the more violent crim criminals, I'm sorry, patients, because they used to take jail people and put them in this building behind the um, asylum. Yeah, and, for reading um, too many books, right? Yes, yes, and bad whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and, you know, they have some of the uh, operate operating rooms back there and um, the women's uh, ward is back there. And, and um, so, so basically it, it was off, it was not part of the tour and you were there on a, on a guided it was, an, it was an administration building. It was, it was just, an, it was a big building. It was huge, but they, they, they said they, they, they have Halloween events every year and they said they store their Halloween uh, decorations in this building and it's not interesting but I couldn't find much about the building other than that it was the administration building so I don't know what's going on in that building but I could not get photos of that building for some reason and it wasn't that architecturally interesting so it didn't bother me that much and I didn't think anything of it um, but then you know when I went inside um, the building in the back of the, of, of the Kirkbride unit um, I was walking through, through it and there's a very uninteresting hall. Um, nothing interesting about it, but I was, I felt compelled to take a photo of it. And it was dark, there was no light. It was just a brick hall and I shot it and walked away. And then when I came home and processed my photos, there were these unexplained light streaks on it. And there, there was absolutely no ambient light whatsoever in that hallway. So I could not explain it. and. And it was still illuminated, but my camera can see better than I can see. So I didn't think anything of it. And there was a, looks like a shadow of a person crouching in the corner. I showed it to other people and that's the first thing they noticed. I showed it to professional photographers and they can't explain the light. Um, so I don't, it's not interesting. It's grainy because it's an extremely high ISO. So. It's got a lot of noise, uh, so it's not an interesting photo, but it's interesting the fact that there are these two unexplained features on the image. And Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> and I did show it to my one friend, and she's the first thing she said was, it looks like a person is crouching in the corner. They're, yeah, they're huddled, and it's a it fearful would be It would be interesting mm -hmm. if you ever had the opportunity to go back and visit yeah. again. I did go back the following year well so well, my what i was what i'm thinking and you may have already tried this but set up a tripod and shoot a long exposure of that area yeah yeah i you know what i went back the following year and i didn't um i did not shoot that hallway again because it wasn't interesting and i didn't think but but i did have another weird experience uh <laughs> in that in that facility, I was, um, I, I went with a, just a photo group. Um, 
And there were only five of us. And it was at the time that the person that organized the event, uh, he has access to the building, the buildings. So we went during in the winter when they don't have tours. So the, we had the whole place to ourselves. It was fabulous. Nice. And there were only five of us. So at the end of my, you know, we were there for five hours, I think five or six hours. And so at the end of my period, I, I was all alone. I was in the Kirkbride building. Uh, I saved that for last because the more interesting stuff I think is in the back, but I was wandering through that and I was up on the fourth floor. Um, I went from the second to third to fourth. And, and then I, I decided, well, it's getting close to, to when I have to leave. So I better get back down to the first floor and leave. <laughs> and I couldn't get out. The doors were locked. Whoa. <laughs> yes. And, and I, 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 uh, I couldn't get out, so I walked down to the end of the hallway and went and went through the the door to the third floor. I couldn't get in the third floor. Went down to the second floor. I couldn't get in the second floor, and so now I'm starting to panic uh, because um, I I didn't know how I was going to get out. And I pulled out my phone to call my friend, um, and I didn't have a cell signal. <laughs> so is it is it pitch black minus your lighting? Your no. Not in that building. There's a lot of, uh, it's a Kirkbride uh, architecture dance. There are lots and lots of beautiful big windows everywhere. Oh, so and it was daytime? Yeah, it was, well, it was close to dusk. It was getting close to dusk. So I was, that's why I was starting to panic too. <laughs> and um, it was, um, and and I just, I just couldn't get out anywhere. Every, and the, the end hallways, the middle hallways, everything was locked. So I finally, walked to the far, far end and got out on the first floor. <laughs> it was just, it was because I was wandering through that building for maybe a good hour and a half. And I was able to access each floor without any problem whatsoever. That's and weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's also possible. I don't know. I never asked him. I should ask him if he, if he was closing up like shutting things down a little because most people had left already and I was still hanging around maybe he was locking everything I don't know <laughs> that would have been quite unnerving to be locked in there for the night for the night yeah yes yeah oh yeah yeah on a weekend well actually the whole winter because nobody's there wow. <laughs> during the winter <laughs> and um and you know I, I have spoken to people that work there and um they um they have they have a lot of very strange accounts. Uh, they they hear squeaky wheels rolling along the top hallways. They hear banging pipes. They see ghosts walking down the halls or even through the walls. And my friend who was organizing this this group saw something like that one time. He said he was there uh, waiting for the. Um, or I think it was after everybody had left for one of his little photo tours, his photo events. And um, he was sitting at the end of the hall and he saw somebody walking across from one room to another. And he was saying, you know, they have, they have to go, it's past the hour, they need to go home. So he went out to get them. And when he went into the other room, there was nobody there. Wow. So <laughs> and wait, what, hmm? the, the person telling you this story was a worker or somebody doing no, a he's, tour? He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a photo photographer, a friend of mine, and he has <clears throat> photo access. He, he can, he can uh, arrange photo events for this place. Um, he has special access so he can he can get into the building at certain times of the year to, to run his little events and, and we can shoot to our heart's content without, um, 
without in, in areas where tourists don't go because the, the tourists are allowed to go into the Kirkbride unit, but not the buildings in the back mm -hmm. where um, some of the nasty stuff was done. <laughs> and um, and the, one of the docents at the facility uh, says uh, she, she has long hair and she says there's someone, a, a spirit in the building that doesn't like long hair or has a thing for long hair and, and her hair gets yanked here and there. She walks down the hall every once in a while. <laughs> and there's a ghost there named Ruth who's said to hate men uh, while she was alive and used to throw things at them. And now in her ghostly form still throws things at male visitors. <laughs> and and there's um, the, the most common one is um, uh, an apparition of a girl named Lily. Uh, she wears a white dress and she appears to be about nine years old. And it's believed that she was a girl whose mother gave birth to her while at the asylum. And she died at nine, nine years old after spending every day of her life confined inside this building. And she said to talk, to roll balls along the floor, floor switch on flashlights, play music box and giggles. Uh, that's observers have described as often sweet and horrifying at the same time. And they have these balls and toys and candy in some of the rooms, uh, just in a corner for, I guess, that purpose. That, that is a creepy story. So yeah. <laughs> how true, you know, how much truth is there in, in that story? Um, they have they have some accounts of. No, of the, I'm sorry, oh. I'm sorry. The story of the little girl being born and raised yeah. in, until she was nine in that facility. How true? Yeah, they how much they, truth they, is they, they have you know the records that they have. They do have rec a record of that, but it's it's not. They don't have a whole lot of details about her. I mean, I don't think they know how she died, but um, but that she was part of the. The, the, the facility wow so yeah. she she really existed she was born yeah. in the facility yeah. there's a record of it she yeah. was raised in the facility yeah there's and, there's witness accounts Ruth, of her that, yeah, that's the, insane the, what about Ruth? so yeah. here here's here's what i have mm -hmm. gathered from your description of this lunatic asylum yeah the lunatics are not the people that are right. occupying the residency they're the people that are running the place yeah yeah it, and 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 actually um yes um i mean the the the, the dr freeman the father of lobotomy he, that that was vicious but a lot of times uh, they were so understaffed it was an incredibly impossible situation to control with with the amount of patients with 2500 patients in a facility designed for 240 uh, to have a staff to control that many patients. Uh, they didn't have the space, they didn't have the furniture, they didn't, they didn't have the heat, they didn't have the clothes. They, they used to be a self-sufficient facility. They would make their clothes, they would, they would farm the site, um, had, had a dairy farm. Uh, but after a few decades, it just got out of control quickly. How, how many, again, did you say was at the apex of the uh, 2,400? So almost, oh, a little bit over 10 times the number of patients. Yes. That yes. were supposed to be there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, 
it's it, it's a very unfortunate it was a it was an unfortunate situation for everyone um well, you know what? I, what? Say the name of the reporter who did the story on that place. Oh, what's his name? It was, yeah, it was in 1949. It was the Pittsburgh Gazette article. I don't remember his name right now. Um, he was pretty instrumental in getting the investigation kicked off that closed that place down, right? Well, it closed. It didn't close. It didn't close down until 1994. Well, did they at least have some kind of reforms after he ran his story? Well, the pro yeah, you know, during the the seventies and and well, they they tried, <laughs> but during the seventies and eighties, as you re I don't know if you recall, there was a a massive movement for deinstitutionalization. Right. So I that. A, a lot of people were just let loose uh, without help. Well, that was that was a tragedy in itself, but letting people out of those you know unlivable situations was a good thing yeah yeah it, it's it's a disaster in both ways and it still is in many respects that way um but um yeah so so but but in the 90s um another pittsburgh gazette i think it was a pittsburgh gazette uh, investigation started highlighting additional problems and then it just closed it closed in 94 so um it's it's a it's a creepy looking place. Uh, it's in the mountains, and in a in a small community. And when you arrive, at, there's this long, long driveway, and this massive sandstone structure. I think it's I think the Kremlin is the only larger sandstone structure in the world. I think Tala is the second largest in the world. It's enormous, and it has this giant clock tower in the middle and it just has an ominous aura about the place and i always seem to go when it's it's a overcast dark day <laughs> maybe it's always overcast and dark maybe, maybe. and supernaturally so so okay a couple yeah. of questions real quick sure. if if somebody wants to see the photos that you shot uh, mm -hmm. are they up on your website somewhere i have um, I do have a lot of, um, I do have some, I do have some Tala photos on my website. I have albums of Tala on my Flickr site, so they can check those out there. Okay. Um, I and only have a few. On how do website. people get to that? Well, it would be, it would be Cindy Vasco for Flickr. Okay. Fl what is it? Flickr.com forward slash yes. Cindy yeah. Vasco. Yes. Or Vasco. Yeah. Okay. You they want can to just spell search that? my name. They can just search my name and Flickr and they'll find them. And why don't you spell your last name so people know? V as in Victor, A-S-K-O. Okay. I'll put it in the show notes also. Sure. Now, and the second question. Mm -hmm. How much stock do you, I, I know that your monkey mind doesn't want to accept the fact that there may be some otherworldly activity going on, but how much stock do you put into the stories that you've heard? I, I do. Um, oh, you mean my personal experiences or what I've spoken no, to No, no, the, the stories that you've heard. Oh, yeah, no, um, especially the people that I know. Um, I, do, I, I would not question their veracity at all. They would have no reason to do that. Um, as far as what what they may be, not, not that they happen, but what that, you know, what could explain those things. I'm so, I'm, I'm so I, I can be I can be overly logical sometimes, but I also don't accept that there's nothing to it. Um, I don't know. I can't explain it. 
um, you just don't want to freak yourself out and admit that there's probably real ghosts yeah. running around places that you've been. Yeah. In. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if I, if I go down that road, if I start really believing that stuff, I probably would never step foot in an abandonment again because they are creepy as all get out. I mean, without ghosts, <laughs> I mean, they're just terrifying sometimes. And um, I don't want to be thinking of that aspect. <laughs> I don't expect you to go in there and start doing seances or taking a week board in there with you and all that stuff, but right. Um, yeah, when you're, when you're in a, a dark hallway, do, do, you know, set up a tripod and do a long exposure once in a while and see what, what kind of weirdness comes out of it. Yeah, I do. There, there, are, there are some weird lights that I get a lot of times in places and they're usually in the, um, the most horrific historic places like prisons and asylums. Uh, I do see little orbs and things like that every once in a while but i don't know if that's dust or you know sensor dust a lot of people really uh kind of scoff at the orbs because yeah it could be dust or it could be lens flares i don't like discount it either way i mean i just i i just know too many people that i've had experiences with the these this phenomena that they wouldn't be making tall tales about it they've really had experiences and I can't explain the, 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 the small things that happened to me either. So who knows? Um, <laughs> well, we still got quite a, we still got plenty of time. It, do you have any other locations that you visited that left you feeling unsettled after you, your little excursion there? Yeah. And, and it, the West, the West Virginia state penitentiary in Moundsville is another creepy place. I visited uh, it. It was uh, originally built as a to be the consummate model of reform, uh, but just a hundred years after it was built, it went from holding ideal and noble objectives to being one of the worst institutions in the United States. Uh, it was a prison. It, it's a Gothic castle look like looking building. It's very imposing and dark, very dark stone and gothic towers and uh, very dark looking um, emotionally as well. And it was built in, uh, it opened in 1876 and it was built by the prisoners uh, at the time. Um, and it, it, it housed a total of, uh, it was originally built, to, this is another situation of crowdedness. This happens in prisons quite a bit. It was built for 480 prisons, prisoners. And by the 1930s, it housed a total of 2,400. And at times, uh, three prisoners were assigned to one of the tiny five by seven cells. And uh, it, has, it has not had a nice history. Uh, penitentiary guards were killed in an in a famous 1986 New Year's Day riot, uh, it it said walking through this this facility it just sent shudders through my soul. And I've been in a lot of prisons. I know I know it's weird to say, but I've been in a lot of abandoned prison prisons, and this one uh, is hands down the most disturbing one I've been in. Uh, it this like I said, the cells are very very small. They're five by seven, and I even stood inside one to get a feel for the cramped space. And there was 
barely enough room between the edge of the bunks and the wall for a person to stand and face a barred door. And it, I was instantly claustrophobic inside that open cell, cell block room. And I was unable to comprehend how difficult it would be to reside in one of those cages for years. And they had two bunks, but they, they put three in a, in a cell for a long time. And one, had a, one, per, one prisoner had to sleep on the floor while two slept on those tiny little bunks. And the winters and summers were horrific. They had uh, extremely cold temperatures in the winter and steaming hot temperatures in the summer. Sometimes the cell blocks would be 120 degrees. I remember talking to the docent there and she, she said that they didn't have any heating or, or cooling in that prison, but I was never able to confirm that after the fact um, in any research I had, but that's what she told me. And there are a lot of accounts of how cold and hot it was. And that overcrowding just, um, just you, could, you could sense the, the, the sense of, of misery inside the, those walls. And in um, the Department of Justice identified it as one of the most violent prisons in the United States. And at its closure, it, I think it claimed, it claimed 995 deaths with 36 considered homicides, as well as a loss of three correctional officers and suicide, murder and violent punishments contributed to the deaths of hundreds of inmates that maybe weren't weren't accounted for because there was very poor record keeping of that place. And so they, they don't really know the number of inmates who died violent deaths there while incarcerated um, at, at this prison. Uh, so there were, there is a, there, there are a lot of hot spots um, in this prison from what I researched. Uh, they're, they're in the chapel, the shower cages, the death row. There's an underground recreational room called the Sugar Shack, which really, really disturbed me. <laughs> I, uh, it, it was once infamous for illegal gambling, drug deals, rape, fighting, and murder. And visitors in this room often hear people arguing, talking, and whispering. Others heard unexplained noises, felt cold spots. And it's supposed to be the whole, the sugar shack is in the basement that you access from the recreational yard. And the whole basement area around that is said to be haunted by a maintenance man who once worked there. He, he was said to have spied on the prisoners and reported any news or infractions to the guards. So in retaliation, he was stabbed several times while he was in the bathroom. And after his death, his ghost is said to wander around in the basement area. And some people have reported equipment malfunctions. I had a little equipment malfunction, I think, when I was in the sugar shack. I, I visited the, the prison on a early spring day. And it was a very rainy day. It was torrential. And... Um, there were only six people that showed up for this photo access event. So I walked through the prison and I didn't see one person for three hours. It, it's wow. such a big prison. Yeah. So I was in, the, I was, I found the sugar shack out, out in the recreational yard. Just a quick side note. That sounds like an urbexer's heaven. It was, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fabulous. And I didn't, yeah, it was, it was I had the whole place to myself. But once I got into this, sugar shack area i kind of wished i wasn't all by myself it's 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 like i said it's you enter into 
um, a subterranean area and there's a long hallway and the, the wall is, I'm pretty sure this is graffiti by the prisoners because they have, they, they paint murals and did a lot of artwork on the walls. But this particular wall was just um, covered in bloody handprints uh, with dripping red paint from top to bottom, just covered with. That's paint. creepy. Yeah. And the other side is all uh, wired. You know, it's, 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 um, it's like heavy, heavy, heavy chicken wire. So you walk down this hallway in a, on a, on, in a slant, you go into this room and there's absolutely no ambient lighting whatsoever. It's pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. So I had my um, um, light painting torch that I pulled out and it's not very bright. I don't use a bright one because I don't want hot spots when I light paint a room. So it's pretty dim and I'm looking around and there's recreational equipment like ping pong tables and I'm starting to paint a section. Um, and I put new batteries in before I went to the prison, but my torch started to flicker and dim. So I started to freak out because this is a pretty big room and I'm and and, and <laughs> it's it's got a low ceiling, a real low ceiling. And I um, decided to leave and put new batteries in. And I just had a hard time finding my way out because because it, it just blacked out on me. And once I got out, I was putting new batteries in it, and I and I figured, now nah, I'm not going back in there. <laughs> I got one I got one shot, and that's it. <laughs> so I have two words for you of advice. Okay, just two words: backup, flashlight. Yes, I know. Yeah, you know what? That that that's that's absolutely true. That that's what I did. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a creepy place. That's, that's I got a good one story, creep. though. It was just, um, it was a very, the, the murals on the wall inside were cheerful, um, but I don't know, it just, it just had a very, it, the air seemed really heavy to me in there. I don't, I, it, it's very, I don't know, because the ceiling was low. Uh, I don't know, it just, the air seemed heavy. I put batteries in once I got onto that little hallway with the bloody handprints. And, and I thought, nah, I don't need any more there. It probably worked out for the best that you didn't have the backup because you might have stuck around a little bit too long if you had, right? Yeah, and and I did I did start to think that I am all alone in this section, and and I haven't seen anybody in three hours, so <laughs> that's well. So and I'm clumsy. <laughs> these um, what did you call them? photo access tours? Yeah, yeah. It uh, they uh, West Virginia State Penitentiary has them several times a year uh, and they just open the prison for photographers it's a cool. fabulous um opportunity to shoot a prison uh on you know just and you have the whole place to yourself it's fabulous That's, that sounds like a black no it is why don't they uh, like have some kind of communication system like handheld radios that they do I don't guys know they through. yeah I don't know I guess because um but hey I'm lost man uh can because, somebody come find me yeah they probably think because you're urban explorers that you, oh, okay. you know your way around these places right <laughs> but they do have tours they have regular tours as well yeah but that's not tours. as fun as going no, off it's on not. Own, no 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 and and you know and, and when we when I go on these places I I watch the crowd and and I go the opposite way the crowd goes so I have the whole place to myself you know I always go in the opposite direction so I don't get stuck in groups that sounds like so how how, how did you 
find out that these type of tours exist? I research like crazy for places like this. I just, I mean, I'm always researching um, um, opportunities to explore. You know, the only way that I've been able to find locations is by driving around, literally. Yeah, I have a, I have a list of, of um, where I start with that people post and then I go from there. But usually, usually if you find a list like that, they're pretty destroyed because a public list of places, like places like this, because it's secure, they have um, security on them. People can't go in and destroy them. But places that are um, technically not accessible, if they're on a list, they tend to get destroyed. And that just makes me insane. And my, my eye are just jumps to a new level when I, I, I just agree. don't like, yeah, yeah I don't and like now, that. There, there's a difference in my mind. There's a difference between graffiti artist going to a location and painting murals and putting nice artwork up there and and people going to you know uh, intentionally vandalize destroy mutilate and and deface yeah and I, I see too much of that there's even people that go in and uh, destroy the murals that these artists have painstakingly went in there and paint. You know, it's just that breaks my heart. I don't understand why people have to be so destructive, and and they think it's funny. I know, and and or they break the windows and the furniture, and they just destroy everything, and and it's it's just. Um, it's I think we we talked about it at length on our previous uh, mm-hmm. conversation, yes. previous podcast. Yes, I think so. Um, I, I know the the uh, like you're talking about it in your podcast. I listened to yesterday about the tunnels under Vegas. Um, I've always wanted to go there, but I, I wouldn't don't know. go in those tunnels, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I would like to do a, like a photojournalist essay on that, but <laughs> they're not. There's they're not safe. They're not safe. No, at all. And no. it's not because of creatures no. or <laughs> no, no. It's because of because uh, of humans. Yes, I know. That's what we never want to run into when we're in we're in abandonments. You never want to run into humans, <laughs> and I've run into too many. <laughs> uh, the other thing that kind of trips me out is that you know we don't get a lot of rain in the in the desert, but when it rains, those tunnels get flooded. I know that scares me. And people's uh, homes get washed desert, away. People die yeah. every year in floods because they yeah, live in those hikers areas. too. So uh, okay, so that those were some great stories. Did you have anything else you wanted to share? Well, I mean, I mean, I did, there was a, there's one more um, site that was very creepy. And I spoke to the owner of the property who's had some very um, amazing experiences. It's an, it's an abandoned amusement park in West Virginia and it's built on um, in Native American burial grounds. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to hear about that one? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's got a very long history and a very bloody past okay there's a term in journalism called uh, burying the lead yes <laughs> I, I think you left the best for last man. i think so I think okay so. we're gonna have to uh, i think i'm gonna have to entitle this episode something to do with the american native american burial grounds yes <laughs> yes just so yes. people listen all the way to the end so they get this one okay yeah. okay this this is far down in West Virginia um, in, um, it's called Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. And it's a tiny little amusement park um, that has a bloody past dating to the late 1700s. And there are so many accounts noting hauntings, unexplained happenings and paranormal tales. 
uh, because of there have been untimely deaths of six children on this property, as well as the recent discovery of Native American graves. So in the 1700s, there was a uh, the Clay family emigrated from Europe and purchased property for the establishment of a home and farm in this area. Uh, West Virginia wasn't in existence at this time, but the land was already home to Native Americans. Um, and historical accounts maintain that the family patriarch, uh, Mitchell Clay, set out on a hunting expedition in 1783. And while he was away, a group of 11 Native Americans killed two of his children, took a third child captive and burned him alive. So when he returned, he was enraged and corralled a group of other settlers and they retaliated and killed several Native Americans. And the legend asserts that the restless spirits of these howering experiences seeped into the land on and around Lake Shawnee. Jump ahead 150 years later in the 1930s, a man named Conley Snido, I think that's his name, I think that's how you say his name, he was unaware of the history, but he envisioned financial opportunities uh, with the development of an amusement park because of the great expansion of West Virginia's coal region. So he constructed a, a small amusement park, had a swing ride, a Ferris wheel, a dance hall, and a pond with canoes. But several freak accidents occurred um, and killed children during amusement park operations. Uh, two boys drowned, the park, and the park closed in 1966 when a truck backed into a, sw a swing ride and killed a young girl. Um, the truck was delivering drinks to the park, and it, it, while it was turning around, it it backed into the girl and and the park closed after this last incident so all this oh, the, what, what year did it close 66 the first okay. time yeah and so he sold all his equipment and the park was just i mean it was gone and then in the 1980s the current owner gaylord white he purchased the property with plans for another amusement park so he set out on a search for a swing ride and a ferris wheel he went to New Jersey, bought the swing ride, and upon delivery of it to, to Lake Shawnee, he realized that the ride's serial numbers were the same numbers from the original park ride. What? It was the same one, yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, dude, don't yeah. buy those, okay? <laughs> he didn't cursed. know it when he bought it. He didn't oh, okay. know it until he got it. He didn't know that the serial number was the same until he got it home. <laughs> he, he added a Ferris wheel, which was not the same, um, paddle boats and a stage um, for, for his amusement park. And, and he opened it in 87 and had three really good years of business. But after three years, business dropped significantly and his insurance premiums escalated. So he, he drew the curtain on the amusement park and instead held fishing tournaments on the lake and, uh, but wanted to add a few more recreational activities on the property. So in the early nineties, he was uh, bulldozing a track of land for mud bogging, off-road mud racing. And he made a startling find while bulldozing the land. He found um, Native American artifacts, um, arrowheads, pottery, and pots. So he called in an archaeological team from Marshall University to check it out. And they spent several years at Lake Shawnee, and they uncovered lots of graves. But they stopped digging when they found child graves. And they estimate about 3,000 are buried on the site. Wow. So because of this, the White family decided not to build anything else on the site, and they consider it, they now consider it sacred territory. 
But he does have um, ghost hunters come in and they claim to hear laughs of children. And the current owner affirms some significant sightings. Uh, he sees the sight of a, he sees a small girl wandering around the grounds at night, complete with the bloody pink dress, the same dress that the girl wore when she, when that truck backed into her. Uh, Discovery Channel had a group of investigators there and one of their investigators got stuck in an old ticket booth. The woman went into a panic and she got so panicked she had to go to the hospital. She couldn't get out and was yelling for help. And it was just a push door. It wasn't even a locked door. Uh, people, visitors have seen orbs, apparitions. Uh, one visitor took a photograph that showed uh, a shape behind a stone monument that marks the, the location where the two um, original children of the settlers were buried the, from the 1700s. So uh, they said that the White family uh, had surveillance video and shows mysterious things happening at a concession stand. And Mr. Uh, Gaylord White said he felt, once he felt a weight on his shoulders while mowing the field with his tractor, and he didn't know what it was, so he turned around and saw the little girl from the swing um, standing there. And he said he, he wasn't scared, but he said, if, you know, he, he got off and said, if you like the tractor, I'm going to give it to you. And um, he's never moved the tractor again. <laughs> and so it, it's, it's just, I mean, I went, I went, I had it, you know what, I had, an, I, I just thought of this. I had a really weird experience driving to the place. I, um, it's a five hour drive from my house. So while I was driving, I was making really good time. So I decided to um, take a little detour and visit um, a covered bridge along the way. It's called the Humpback Bridge. And um, I, I, got, I did that and then I got back on my road to um, Lake Shawnee and my navigation system in my car, my car was um, new at the time. It was only like a year old. And um, navigation's always worked perfectly. And all of a sudden it just switched the route suddenly. And it took me up this insane dirt gravel road up a side of a mountain. Um, and, and I was, I thought, where the heck is this taking me? And, I'm, and it wasn't even a marked road and I'm driving and there weren't any guardrails and the road's getting more narrow and it's curvy and there's ruts. And so I made the decision to back up and go, you know, just reroute because it was terrifying. I just, it was a steep, steep. What, is it like a one lane? Yes. Yes. And it was getting more narrow and, and there wasn't any guardrail on the side and it was steep. I could see the bottom and, uh, I, I just had a very hard time backing up because it was curvy and it was about, a, I, was, I was on about a mile, I guess. So it took forever, but I was absolutely terrified. And, and, I, and I got back on the highway and, and just started my navigation again. And it just took me right to the place. And the, the music park isn't far off the major interstate. So um, I don't know what happened, but it was weird. And I went, I, I visited, I was the only one there. Um, they, they said they, they have a Halloween event and um, they opened it to any photographers that wanted to come um, on the, the Sunday after Halloween. So I was the only one that showed up and they were taking down 
her Halloween decorations, most of them were down already, but it was, a, it was, it was a pretty sunny day and it was, I, but it's still a creepy looking place with the Ferris wheel covered in vines and, and shrubs and the swing sets creepy. <laughs> There's not much there, but it's, it's a, um, a pretty dark looking place when you see these rusted metal hulks standing up that once uh, were, was a sign of laughter and happiness. Well, it definitely sounds like a place I would love to visit. Yeah, the lore is fabulous. I mean, the, the owner swears that he saw saw these things, and so does a lot of other people do. And a lot of the ghost hunters have claimed that too. Now, the three stories or three locations mm -hmm. that you shared uh, mm -hmm. with us are did you document these in your book that you mentioned? I, I do. I talk about the history. I do talk about a little bit about. Um, how um, people always ask me about spectral events. Uh, I don't go into that too much in my book because it's it's I, it's there. It's a historical account, so I talk about the history, but I talk about the darkness of the history. Are all three of these locations showcased in the book that yes. you mentioned? Okay, yes. and what's the and name yeah, of that book? It's abandoned West Virginia. Okay. <laughs> And how can yeah, people it, find that? They're it's coming out. It's coming out in two weeks, um, November 9th, I think it is. Okay, so, so it'll Amazon. be probably a week or week and a half after this airs. It's going to air next oh, week. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and it's, it can be pre-ordered, but um, from yeah, what Amazon or do they have yeah, to go Amazon, to your all the all the online bookstores, um, Google and Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Uh, so that's great that this is coming out soon, but people that are interested in your photography mm -hmm. and reading about the other locations you've visited, you've done how many books prior to this? Okay. I'm, I'm writing 13. Um, I, I have, let's see, I, I just sent one in last week, uh, two coming out. So I have nine are going to be out by middle of January. And then I have four after that. So a third, so, so seven are out now okay. and nine will be out by January. So you have seven books that are yeah. out. One is coming yes. out in a week and a half or so, yes. uh, uh, November 9th. And then another mm -hmm. one is going to release in January. Yes. Great. And then, and then you'll have, more. you'll have three more after that. Well, or... there, there's there'll be four after that. Okay. Uh, Cause I just sent one in last week. Great. So, Good. so the last three <laughs> and they're all available on Amazon in yes. hard, hardcover. I mean, they're, they're uh, soft. They're paperback soft. Yes. or ebook. Yeah, uh, no, they don't have ebooks, unfortunately. I don't okay. know why, but they don't. <laughs> I think this is a good place to close it out. I got to get, yes. um, get going on some other stuff. All right. Well, Cindy, thank you for sharing your stories with me for this special edition of Dead Hand Radio, uh, this Halloween special. Uh, it's always great talking to you, and I appreciate you taking so much of your time out of your day to come and hang out with me for a little bit, share your stories, and creep some people out hopefully <laughs> thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed the little discussion all right cindy i'll talk to you soon sure bye-bye